We, we are in the, uh, the fifth beatitude this morning, so we're in this series that we've called the Kingdom Manifesto. Um, the fifth beatitude is found in Matthew 5, 7, if you want to open up your Bibles there. Uh, it, it's been a little bit different preaching this series in that we've only been going a verse at a time, which is, uh, it's just different, right, than doing a passage or doing a few more verses. So we're, we're, we're really just unpacking these verses one by one, but... The fifth beatitude is, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You know what, let's, uh, before we start, let's, why don't we just pray and let's just ask the Lord uh, to just open up our minds and hearts. Lord, I, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for these words specifically that we're looking at this morning. And Jesus, I want to pray that you would help us to capture and embrace And take hold of all that you have for us in this. And that we would see how merciful you are. How we are called to be a merciful people as followers of you. And and Lord, I pray that this would touch hearts and minds here this morning in profound ways, Holy Spirit, as you work. And so Jesus, we give all of this to you right now. And we ask that you'd be glorified in our midst. Amen. So I want to I start with a question, and, and I want to invite feedback from you. What do you think it means to be merciful? Or to show mercy? What do, what do you think that means when you hear that? Be kind and generous. Be kind and generous. Another way to think of it is, what, what does a merciful person look like, do you think? Give people a second chance. They go beyond the norms. Okay. In how they respond. Okay. Acceptance and not judgment. Mary. Bless the homeless. Yeah, that's true. That's that is that is part, definitely part of mer- being merciful. Carlos. Right. Choosing to forgive even when maybe the situation would, people would say, you, you shouldn't have to. Right. Anyone else? What does it mean to be merciful? Jake? Reaching out, to the needy. Reaching out to the needy and serving them. Yeah, this is all really good. Yeah. So, after Jesus, he comes into public view. And he's announcing this coming of God's kingdom on the earth that we've, we've kind of looked at as we've been going through the Beatitudes, right? Jesus, he kind of comes on the scene and he begins his public ministry, if you will. And he's announcing this coming of God's kingdom. And, and he begins by teaching his disciples, what does it look like to follow my way? The, the qualities and the heart postures that define my way. And that's, that's really what the Beatitudes And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount really is about. And so Jesus is revealing, in a sense, his way that subverts or overthrows the world's way. That that the, the ways that the world will embrace the world, the ways that the world will tell you how to live. And Jesus is flipping that upside down in so many ways as he's announcing his kingdom. And so Jesus, he begins these eight qualities 
that will be evident in the life, uh, lives of those who are embracing his way. Remember, we're, and we have to remind ourselves of this every time, because I think our, our default is to think, I somehow have to produce or manufacture or try really hard to be this way. And Jesus is saying, no, it's as you follow me, as you follow my way, as you embrace my way, that these qualities are becoming part of you. They're being produced in you, not, not because you're trying really hard. And so this fifth quality that we're focusing on this morning, being merciful, it, it actually might be the most understandable of the Beatitudes. Like, when you look at it and you go, yeah, those that are following Jesus' way, they'd be merciful? Yeah, I think that makes sense. That, 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 that seems right that that's how those people would be. At least at first it seems that way. But I think as we dig into this and we begin to really unpack the totality of what Jesus reveals about mercy in the Gospels, we begin to go, oh, oh, that's what he's getting at. So the word here for mercy or merciful is eleemone, which, that's the Greek word. It's found in only one other place in the New Testament. It's only used twice in the entire New Testament. Here and in Hebrews 2.17, that where it speaks of Jesus. And there in Hebrews 2.17, where it speaks of Jesus' humanity and how he broke the power of death, how it says there that he was made to become like us and and in becoming like us, he was made to be our merciful and faithful high priest who was sacrificed for our sins. And so what we're meant to see in this, and I think the fact that this word is used twice, is that Jesus himself is the very embodiment of mercy. That Jesus came and he was the very manifestation of mercy in the flesh. This is why mercy is a mark of those who are embracing the kingdom and who desire to internalize the way of Jesus in their lives. Jesus is mercy. And so to be following and becoming like Jesus means that we are becoming a merciful people. It, it starts, though, with the realization of the depth of mercy that we need. It begins with the revelation that without God's mercy, we are completely lost. We are without hope in this world, as it says in Ephesians 2. It, it's coming to see that we are the lost. We are the poor. We are the destitute. Who are the ones crying out to Jesus, have mercy on me. One, one of the scandals of the gospel, and it is an absolute scandal, is that a holy and righteous God would enter into the mess of sinful humanity. Like he would plant himself amidst all this mess and that he would extend mercy. Many, many times in the gospel, we see desperate people crying out to Jesus for mercy. It's, it's over and over again in the gospels. And what does Jesus do? He responds. There was, there was something about Jesus, holy and righteous as he was, but 
there was something about Jesus that drew people to cry out to him for mercy. They, they realized it, whether consciously or subconsciously, that Jesus embodied mercy. It was one of Jesus' main focuses, actually, when you look at sort of the totality of what he was doing when he came. He was continually calling out to those who saw themselves as the uber, super righteous people. And he's like, you need mercy. You need mercy. Mercy is at the very core of the good news of Jesus. God drawing near to us in our lostness, God offering us mercy. And so surrender to Jesus comes with the realization, I need mercy. And so mercy is really, it's both receiving what we do not deserve and not receiving what we do deserve. And the good news of Jesus declares that it begins with God's mercy to us. It enables us to know that mercy. It enables us to extend that mercy to others. But how do we see mercy? Uh, how, how are we conditioned to respond? Or another way of asking this would be, do we see mercy or how do we see mercy extended and expressed around us? You know, like mercy is extended, but within what parameters is mercy extended? How, how do I think of mercy? You can ask yourself that. How do I think of mercy? Like, I will show mercy if people align with my opinions. I will show mercy if people do what I think is right. I will show mercy if I think someone deserves it. I will show mercy if the other person shows me mercy. Or I will show mercy because I like the other person and they're in my little group of friends or they're part of my inner circle. They're my people. I show those people mercy. But what if they don't align with what I think? What if they don't do what I think is right? What if I don't think they deserve it? What if they don't show me mercy? Or what if I really just don't like them? Are these grounds to pull back and for the retraction of mercy? No. But these are the questions we have to ask, right? Because we need to be pulled back into the center of the gospel. We need to be brought into alignment or to be in sync Right? Remember that when Jesus talks about blessed are those, he's saying really, in sync, in sync with my gospel, in sync with my kingdom, are these people. And so what does Jesus say about mercy? That's really what I want to answer this morning. What does Jesus say? First, Jesus says mercy is kindness without any strings or with no strings attached. So I, I grew up in an extended family where I, I came to learn from a very young age that almost everything, and I'm not exaggerating, almost everything that was given came with strings that were attached on some level. And, and I, I remember even in extended family gatherings where like nothing at Christmas was given out until you had to perform. Once you had performed, then you were given your gift. 
but never before. And, and I just, so I internalized as a young kid that this was the way that life operated, that in order to be given something, there were strings attached. And then, you know, as you get older, you're like, I don't want strings attached, so I don't know if I really want this, right? Even, even if it was just a forced conversation, I grew up believing that to receive something meant that there were strings attached. And, and we can come to see mercy in the same way. Either we expect to receive it with strings or we extend it with strings to others. You know, we have expectations or we expect something in return. So Jesus, he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. And I want to invite you, I'm going to read this actually. I'm not going to read everything that we look at this morning, but I want to read this. Luke 10, verses 25 to 37, he tells this well-known parable. You can turn with me there. Luke 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he, was tra- as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So, well-known story. Jesus, in telling this parable, he's also revealing to us how we live this out. The, the priest and the Levite, they're both religious officials. And, and why, so why are they the two examples in the story? Well, probably because you would expect them to be the ones most likely to extend mercy. They, they should have been the ones doing this. Jesus, having a Samaritan as the focus intentionally, brought the racial and ethnic tensions of the day, which were major with the Samaritans. He just brought them all into the light. And, and they're probably hearing this and they're going, those people? And Jesus notes that the man had pity. He took compassion when he saw the man that was injured. He went out of his way to care for him. Whatever he was doing, wherever he was going, this Samaritan, he stopped to involve himself in the need. 
He paid the equivalent of, of a few hundred dollars to have him taken care of. Took him to the inn. He even went further than that. And he said to the innkeeper, like, look, anything else and I'll cover those additional expenses. So there was cost to him. And, and I mean, it was such that the teacher of the law who's hearing this, he realized going, yeah, I, I, I realized that there is mercy that was shown in this story. But do we consider some of the deeper aspects of this story? We, we have no idea what led to this situation with the man that was beaten. We, we likely assume he was innocent, but perhaps not. Maybe he was beaten up because it was illegal activity that had gone wrong. Maybe it was revenge on him for something that he had done. Maybe he was a problem that needed to be dealt with, eliminated. We, we don't know actually why it happened. And the point of that that Jesus is making is it doesn't matter. It, it had no bearing on the response of the Samaritan. He didn't come across him and go, hmm, wonder if he deserves this. There were no strings attached to the goodness and the mercy of the Samaritan. And, and one of the underlying points here that Jesus is revealing is that mercy extends goodness and kindness to those in need regardless of the reason for the need. So let's be honest. Let's be honest. How many of us are inclined to withhold kindness when we discover that the one we in need caused their own problem? I wrestle with this tension. We have wrestled with this tension as a church. We don't want to enable. We don't want to give and enable. I've said those very words. I have said those very words have come out of my mouth. So we, we've been involved in giving and then you find out details that can make you question like, oh, should we be doing that? Should we have strings attached to it? And Jesus reveals if we think like this, and I, I'm re I wrestle with this, but Jesus reveals if we think like that, we haven't fully grasped mercy. There's always risk when we extend mercy. The priest would have risked his ritual purity. It's probably one of the reasons why he didn't stop. I can't, I, I can't do this. The Samaritan pushed through his fear. And ultimately, this is ultimately, this parable that Jesus is giving here, ultimately he's presenting the good Samaritan as a picture of himself. Second, what does Jesus say about mercy? Mercy is choosing to forgive. So Matthew, in Matthew 18, there's this account of Peter seeking to set the boundaries of forgiveness with Jesus. He says to Jesus, he says, so how many times are we supposed to forgive? Like up to seven times, Jesus? I, you know, you hear that and you go, I, seven times, forgiving someone seven times, be honest. That's a pretty high bar. There's like, what, what, would we, what would we set the bar at? Three strikes, maybe? That, that's actually the bar that the, the rabbis of the time had set. The, the, the teaching of the day in Jesus' time was, the, the rabbi said three times, then you're, then you're free. You don't have to keep forgiving. And Jesus, what does he respond? 
70 what? Times 7. So 490 times. He's not like saying, okay, when you get to the 491st time, if you've like kept your little, like you've, you've got your, your notes of how many times you've forgiven. No, no, no. He's, what he's saying here, and he's, and he's actually, he's, um, he's connecting this back to Genesis 4, actually, where Lamech talks about how he will be avenged 70 times 7. What Lamech was saying there uh, in Genesis 4 was basically like, there's no limit to how much I will avenge. And so Jesus is actually, he's, he's hearkening back to that. And he's saying, there's no limit on forgiveness. None. That, that's, a, that's a high bar. And, and then, so Jesus says that, and then he tells a sobering parable that speaks of the, this unmerciful servant. And he says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. So in this parable, the king, he wanted to settle accounts with his servants. One of them owed the equivalent of 200,000 years worth of wages. 200,000 years. Point being, he ain't never paying this back. The king brought him. He wanted to settle his accounts. He brings him before him in the parable. Says, look, I'm going to sell everything that you have, including your family. And maybe that'll make just like the teeniest dent in what you owe. And and the servant responds and begs for mercy. And unbelievably, the king lets him go and cancels the debt, it says. And what is this servant? He's just been forgiven 200,000 years worth of wages. And he goes out and it says he found. And in the Greek, it means specifically he searched out. It wasn't like he, it was happenstance. He searched out the guy that owed him four months worth of wages. Okay, four months. You go, that's, that's not a small number. Think about what four months of wages is for you. If someone owed you that, it's not a small number. And he says, you'd better pay up, buddy. And the guy begs for mercy from him. He says, give me time. And he's like, No. And he has him, he actually, he gets physical with him. He grabs him, gets physical with him, gets him thrown in jail. Thankfully, other people see what's going on. And they go to the king and they say, you know what this servant did that you released from all that debt? So the king brings him before him and says, did you, did you do this? And he realizes that he has. And the king throws him into prison until he can repay. Well, meaning he's there for life. And this is what Jesus says. This is where it's so sobering. He says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each one of you if you do not forgive others from your heart. So rabbis at the time, they spoke of sin as debts that would separate you from God. They talked about this as the, the sins that you had would be debts that, that created this separation between you and God. Jesus uses that very word in this parable to speak of debts that have been forgiven. This is mercy. This, this is unbelievable mercy. This is, this is mercy that is beyond any sort of comprehension that we would have. 
Just, just put yourself in that scenario that you have a debt that you cannot possibly repay. Well, you do, actually. You do have a debt that you cannot possibly repay. And that's the point that Jesus is making. This is mercy that doesn't make sense. What Jesus is highlighting is that mercy, the mercy that we extend to others is evidence of the level to which we have understood and that we have been transformed by the mercy of God that's been lavished upon us. The mercy which we have received is to be effectual towards others in our lives. Later on in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus makes it crystal clear to us. He says, if you choose not to forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. He doesn't leave it like ambiguous. It's very, very clear. So we're, we're playing games, I, I guess I would say, with ourselves. If we think we can go around trying to justify unforgiveness in our lives to people and go, you know, and, and create parameters as to why we don't have to forgive, but go, God's forgiven me. I, I have, I've had that discussion with people. I've seen it in my own heart. And I go, you go, how in the world do we think that's even remotely possible? We, we hear people quite frequently say, this or that is unforgivable. How many of you have heard that recently? That, 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 that is unforgivable. McLean's Magazine wrote an in-depth uh, feature this summer on Yaskarat um, Sadu, the truck driver that plowed into the bus of the Humboldt Brockles hockey team a few years back there, killing 16 kids, or no, not just kids, individuals, and injuring, I think seriously injuring 13 people. That article, it's a stirring article on forgiveness, like well worth your, the read. Uh, you can find it online. Scott and Lori Thomas, their son Evan was, was one of the, the hockey players that was killed. And they chose to forgive Sidhu. They agreed to meet with him actually as part of the, the trial and the sentencing. And, and they said even though they admitted to lingering hostility at the time, they knew that they had the capacity to forgive him. And they, it says that they talked about faith with him. They said they knew that Evan would want them to forgive. And Sidhu, in the article, he says, now he says, from where I'm standing, forgiveness means everything. And research is backing up the power of forgiveness. In 2009, uh, there was a study, a wide-ranging study that was done at the University of Wisconsin and there was the, this group, and half of them went through interpersonal forgiveness therapy. And then uh, th these, these had been people who had experienced trauma in their lives. And when they did a bunch of tests after the fact, the, the people that had gone through this therapy around forgiveness, they had a marked increase when talking about what had happened to them of blood flow in their bodies. They actually were healthier physically. Mercy calls us to forgiveness. 
Third, mercy is being willing to lose. So a few summers back, uh, we went on a, a family trip, late summer actually, to Georgia to visit some friends. And on the way back, the way the timing worked, um, we, we booked a couple days at Wisconsin Dells at one of the resorts, and it was the very end of the season there. And so we got a bit of a cheaper rate. It wasn't cheap, but it was cheaper. And so we get to, to uh, this resort. It's kind of an all-inclusive deal, like, like the theme park, the, the water park, and the hotel's all in one. And we get there, and it was the last two days they were open, and almost half the rides were closed. And they hadn't said anything about this to us when we booked. There was no mention of this. And I was, I'll admit, I, <laughs> I was cheesed off. I was like, what, what do you mean half of your theme park is closed? Like, you didn't reduce your ticket price by half. And so I was really worked up about this. And they, their office is actually separate from the resort. So I went there, I don't know, two or three times at least, battling with them over this rate and basically telling them, I want a reduction in our rate. And I got it. And I felt good about it. Like, I, I argued my case, and, and I wouldn't let it go. Like, I was like a dog on a bone. And I'm like, no, this is, like, I basically told them, this is going to happen. <laughs> and it did. And then I realized after, though, in, in, with some introspection, and, like, I lost my peace. It affected me. It affected our kids. It affected our family. We were there. But, like, I wasn't happy I was annoyed the whole time, and I don't remember all the conversations, but there was enough where I, I realized after going, this, this isn't good. Like, yeah, I, I won, but it wasn't good. And so I, I did some, I had some discussion and unpacked this uh, with a counselor at the time and with some other stuff and just started to unpack this with them about what, what had transpired, what I was feeling. And at one point he looked at me and he said, Paul, he said, are you willing to lose? Like, even if you're in the right, even if you're justified, even if, like, you have a right to whatever, are you willing to lose? And then he, he added, he says, I think for growth, you need to be willing to lose. I, I have not forgotten that statement, that question. It, it rings in my brain. Like God worked in that profoundly in me through other stuff, bringing up, connecting things in, in me, stuff from, from way in the past. And I was like, I need to really grapple with this in my life. And it has helped me tremendously during COVID. Like that, that being willing to lose during this last 20 months of just craziness I, I have been profoundly helped wrestling through things that I don't like. Mercy is being willing to lose. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about retribution um, from others. He talks about love for our enemies. And Jesus says in those passages, it's not about getting even. It's not about actually getting what you deserve. He says, like, if they, ask for your, if they ask for you to go one mile with them, and he's probably talking about the Romans and the way that they would, they would basically, you know, use people. He's like, go with them two miles. Je Jesus, like, he, he made it very clear. This is not about getting what you deserve. 
Now, I'm not saying it's open season to be taken advantage of. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I am saying the way of Jesus is the way of loss. The, the rabbis, they had clearly, uh, or sorry, not clearly, cleverly made an addition to love your neighbor because they didn't like how open-ended that was. Really open-ended. Like, who is, right? Like, Jesus asked, who's my neighbor? They, that was a big thing. Like, how are we going to wrangle this so we don't have to, like, love everyone? So the rabbis cleverly added, and hate your enemies. And Jesus came on the scene and said, no, no, no. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Think about that. Do you, do you feel right now on any level that you're persecuted by anyone? Jesus says, pray for them. This is the way of the kingdom of God. This is the way that Jesus says, this is my way. And it's clear from Jesus' words that the presence of mercy in our lives will call us to lose. If we're always just focused on getting what we deserve or what's just or asserting our rights and our freedoms, we are much more likely to withhold mercy from others. Why? Why? You know why we say stuff like, they deserve it. Ah, that's, that's, that's consequences. They, they made those decisions, it's consequences. Or how, how many of us have heard or said even, ah, they made their bed, now they got to lie in it. That's not mercy. I, I am... With everything we're going through right now, and I don't even want to get into it, all the stuff, the punitive nature of stuff right now all around us, so much of it is completely devoid of mercy. Could be all true, right? Could be true. They deserved it. Consequences. Yeah, they caused it. Could be all true. But it pushes out mercy. And so you're like, you can't possibly expect me, Paul, dot, dot, dot. I, I want to just draw us back to Philippians 2. And, and really, it's not just Philippians 2. The New Testament is saturated with this. Jesus made himself nothing. It says there, he took on the very nature of a slave. And it says there, in all that, in taking on the way Jesus is, is, in humility, count others above yourselves. Jesus was consistently slandered. Jesus was consistently misunderstood. Jesus was consistently attacked because of his desire to show mercy. Mercy calls us to the same. Last reason, what does Jesus say about mercy? He says, mercy is the very nature of our heavenly father. The parable of the prodigal or the lost son is probably the most compelling revelation of the mercy of God in scripture. It, it made no sense, that parable, makes no sense. A son that dishonored to his father to that extent in the first century culture deserved Nothing. Jesus reveals mercy in that parable. A father 
that, that extends mercy that is completely unexplainable. It would have been a slanderous parable. And Jesus tells the parable in response to the Pharisees who were beside themselves, the religious leaders, they were beside themselves because of Jesus' dinner guests. Look at the sinners, look at the tax collectors, look at the fringe of society that he would dare to eat with. I want you to think of those people that make you really uncomfortable. Those are the people that Jesus is inviting to eat with him. Them. Whoever they are. Jesus has no concern that he's misunderstood. He just keeps telling stories to reveal the depth of his mercy. There's no actual ending to that parable that tells the, to, for us to go and do likewise. Nothing. Jesus just kind of ends the parable. And I almost wonder if it's sort of meant for us to go, whoa, look at the mercy of the Father. I, I think that's what Jesus is doing. He's leaving us going and going, wrestle with this. And the thing is, because we don't really need another warning. It's perfectly clear in Scripture that mercy is at the very core of who God is, and Jesus is the very embodiment of it. Ephesians 2 gives us a very dark but realistic picture of this world and our sinful state. Dead in our sins, there it says, living in the passions and desires of our flesh and our minds, and by very nature, it says, they're opposed to God. That's the human condition. But God, it says, verse four, Ephesians two, verse four, but God being rich in what? Rich in mercy. Because of his great love for us, says, even when we were dead in sin, made us alive together with who? Christ. So that in the coming ages, it says, he might show the immeasurable riches of his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So this is where I want to kind of land it is incomprehensible to think that followers of Jesus would be anything but merciful. To follow the way of Jesus, to be in union and relationship with him, to be in pursuit of being, to be made more like Jesus, to be putting on the new self, to be imitators of God, all those things that are spoken of in the New Testament is to be merciful. So how is it possible that so many times we find ourselves lacking mercy towards others? Let's, let's be real. How many times do we go, I find myself lacking? Is it not God's mercy in that even, revealing where we have yet to be formed into the image of Jesus? Because you cannot read the Gospels you, you cannot read how Jesus lived and the parables that he taught and clearly not see that God is all about mercy. He is, Jesus is mercy incarnate for us. Luke 6.36, be merciful, it says there, even as your heavenly Father is merciful. Daryl Johnson, love this simple quote, he says, 
Hang around Jesus long enough and you cannot but begin to take on his bent toward mercy. So this, this poses a provoking question, right? Do only those who show mercy obtain mercy? When you look at this beatitude, do, do we merit mercy by being merciful? Do you obtain this? So, so the pronoun in the Beatitudes, theirs, like theirs is the kingdom or they will be, that's all through the Beatitudes, is in the emphatic position. It means something like theirs and only theirs is the kingdom or they and only they will be comforted. They and only they will inherit the earth. They and only they will be shown mercy. It's, it's revealing that those who receive all of this is because they really get it. Like, in that it's marked their lives. So if, if we're asking God for mercy, if we're aware of the mercy that has already been shown to us, like we understand the depth of the mercy that we have received, if we really are there, and, and the mercy that's constantly extended to us, but we're not willing to extend mercy to others in our lives, then we're not really living in the reality of the words that we claim. We're, we're, we're not grasping mercy. This is where, where the Lord's prayer is so moving for our lives, so moving. As, as we pray for God to forgive us our debts or our sins so that we may forgive those who sin against us, it's, it's impossible to pray that first part. God, would you forgive me? And then somehow think that we don't have to pray or extend or live the second part. It, it's just incompatible. It, it's, it's impossible to expect the first part and not to seek to live out the second part. We have not then understood the way that Jesus calls us to radical mercy. So this is where, this is just what I want to end with. It, can, it, it really, it compels us to ask hard questions to assess our heart postures. Is the kingdom of God taking root in my life? Is the way of Jesus taking hold of me? Am I merciful? Is my bent toward mercy? Or is my bent to reject mercy? Or what parts of me are inclined to be opposed to mercy? All of that stuff, that's where Jesus wants to take hold of your life. Right there. All right, I, wanna, I know I'm, I'm getting long, so I want to I wrap it up. So I want to I invite you this week to take this further. Jen, why don't you come up? Um, I want to I invite you to apply this to your life this week, and I want to give us some questions again. And, and really the intent of this is just to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, to invite him to work, to reveal where Jesus desires to make you more like him and where he's inviting you to this. So, first question. Where do I see mercy in operation in my life towards others? Two, in what ways is God increasing my capacity for mercy? 
Three, where have I misunderstood the mercy of the Father? How, how can I open myself up to it? Fourth question is, where do I struggle to extend mercy? And fifth, how, how will I get closer to Jesus this week so that I can take more of his mercy, so I can receive more of his mercy for me? All right, why don't we pray? Father, I, I know, and you know, how far short of this at times that I know I feel that I fall. And God, how I need to see what attitudes and what postures are going on in my heart. And Lord, I want to thank you that this is not about perfection. This is not about trying to manufacture or attain some level. It's really, Jesus, about coming to see who you are and being drawn to you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be drawn to you. Jesus would be drawn to your way. But, Lord, that we would, we would take your words, we would take the very words of Scripture and that we would internalize them in our lives, Lord, that these, these words would be life to us and that we would be a people. Lord, I, I pray that as a people here, that as a, as a group of people joined together as the body of LCF, both as individuals but together, Lord, that, that we would be a people that is, are marked by mercy and are known to extend mercy. Lord, I pray that where we go and where we operate and where we, Lord, the, the spheres of influence that we have, Lord, that they would be marked by mercy. Lord, that, that people would go, those are people, there's something different about them. Not because it's about us, Jesus, but because we want. Lord, I long that people would encounter your mercy like I've encountered it. And so, Lord, I pray that that would be the heart cry of our hearts.
the clock is ticking. We've gone over just a little bit today, but uh, Dwayne had something he wanted to share. Uh, so Dwayne, why don't you come on up? is a powerful word. A couple of things that, that tie into that for me here. Sorry, I made some notes on my phone here so I don't forget. I think, I think so often we think that showing mercy is showing weakness, right? If I show mercy for this, that I'm being weak, right? And that's not what it is, right? God came and he showed mercy everywhere and yet he was strong, right? Like it takes more strength to show mercy than it does to, to stand up and fight for something. The second thought that I had is is we don't have to do anything to deserve God's mercy to us. Romans says, um, sorry, give me a second here, I'll just read it. Romans 8 says, you see, at just at the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good one, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, completely undeserving of mercy, Christ showed us mercy. And the last thing is when we live with radical mercy in our life like this, like what Jesus demonstrated to other people, like Paul was talking about, right? That's how we become the aroma to the world around us. People are going to say, why are you showing me mercy, right? And, and, and scripture says we're supposed to become the aroma of Christ, smelling like Christ, where no matter where we are, people smell us <laughs> because they're smelling Christ, right? It's a, it's a key verse in my life, and many of you will have heard me share that. And then, and then that gives us the opportunity to be ready always to share the hope that is in us, right? And to do it with gentleness and respect. So I'm tying a lot of different scripture together, but, but this, this message is right on. This is what the church needs to hear. This is what God wants us to hear. Thank you, Dwayne. Well, thank you. Thank you all for being with us. Those who join us online, please remember to keep praying for Carlin and the Yoder family. Let's, uh, let's extend mercy in the form of prayer and, and just seek God for, for the healing of that family. We love them. We want them back here in the building as soon as possible. And uh, yeah, prayer is going to be seeking the Father for their healing, I think, is going to be the way to do that. So have a wonderful week. Look forward to seeing you again next Sunday. And yeah, be blessed. Jen, Chris, once again, thank you. God bless.